Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to Good morning. It is the 22nd of August, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Where in the word are you today? I am in Proverbs 22, verse 4. It is today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. If you don't already get uh, the Growing Your Faith verse of the day in your inbox, you can do so by going to myfaithradio.com. Tons of other great things to sign up for there. And uh, if you've never gotten a welcome packet, go ahead and grab one of those. We'd love to communicate with you, let you know, you know, all the ins and outs of, uh, of what we're doing through the ministry of Faith Radio. Um, there's lots of parts and pieces to it. And so we want to share them all. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and uh, sign up for the verse of the day and all the other great stuff we got going on. So Proverbs 22, verse 4, true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. So if you say to yourself, you know, I'd really like to have some riches, honor, and long life, then maybe we should pay attention to the beginning part of the verse. What does it mean to be a person of true true humility and true fear of the Lord? Hmm. Hmm. True humility versus what? Well, how about false humility? (laughs) Have you ever run into a a person of false humility? Mm Mm-hmm. I have. So... Solomon is saying here, you know, it's, it, it's false humility is not going to get you there before the Lord, because he's the one who knows what's going on in your heart. So true humility and true fear of the Lord. So what does that look like? What is true fear of the Lord? Well, I guess uh, if we juxtapose true humility to false humility, then to what would we juxtapose true fear of the Lord? And I might say self-confidence, self-dependence, a self-centered view of the world and everything in it. Um, So because the fear of the Lord is a life in reference to and in reverence of God as the center of all things. So true humility and fear of the Lord um, acknowledges God rightly and then acknowledges ourselves rightly in relationship to God. Solomon spoke these words, these, these words in Proverbs 22, 4. He spoke these words literally out of his own lived experience. If you go back and read 1 Kings chapter uh, 2 and 3, you'll read about the death of uh, King David, and then you'll read about um, the reign of the beginning of the reign of King Solomon. And uh, picking up in verse 3 of chapter 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, Uh, He sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. So ask anything, Solomon. Ask anything, the Lord said. Solomon said, "You you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. 
You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go in or come out. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, great, this your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise, arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you in all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, walking in the ways of God, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So when Solomon writes, when Solomon writes that true humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and life, he knows of what he speaks. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let us be people who understand these things today and follow in the ways of God. We're going to talk about the ways of God next with our friend Dave Buring. What are the ways of God versus, well, the ways in which we might choose to go on our own? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us again today, our friend Dave Vuring from Lion Share. You can find him at lionshare.org or on Facebook at Lion Share Disciple Makers. Dave, welcome back. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? I am. I am well. I am well. I hope you are well as well. I am well. Amen. I'm great. Grateful to be well. Oh, amen. Amen. Right. I mean, I any day that I get up and I'm not, you know, I'm not in physical pain. I recognize that others are, and I'm grateful for it. And um, yeah, walking in the ways of God. Let's talk about that. Um, Let's define what we're talking about first. I mean, I want to be a person who walks in the ways of God, but maybe put up some guardrails to frame the conversation, because this feels like a conversation that could go just about anywhere. (laughs) That's right. So when I when I start thinking about this, I think of Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, and it says, for my thoughts, this is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, For me, Carmen, when I was about 18, 19, 20 years old, I was a missionary with Youth of the Mission, and certainly a missionary in training while trying to, you know, be obedient to the Lord and the things I was doing, but being shaped and this is one of the phrases that was introduced to me at that time. And so I'm 63 now, so you can see that's a while ago. But it made a, it made a mark on me because I begin to understand that there's certain natural ways as a person I do things. There's certain things as an American 
that I do things and think things. And I could say that about my missionary friends who are from various nations. Based on our backgrounds, our heritages, the families we grew up in, there were just natural ways of doing things. And when we think of ways like this, I'm talking about the ways of God, I want us to think about how God does things, therefore how he asks us to do things, which means they're packed with love, they're packed with wisdom, they're packed with his power, as we are obedient to them. So that that kind of gets us started a little bit, and it's, it's, it's a journey. Once you see the ways of God, that phrase in Scripture, you start recognizing it when you run across. But the Scriptures are made up of hundreds and probably thousands of different expressions of God's ways of doing things. So let's just um, let's just cover a few. What you know? What are some of the realities of walking in the ways of God? Yeah. So when I look at um, Exodus chapter thirty-three, it, it says this. So this is Moses, and he says this: If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So the real essence, like if we start like numero uno, what's the primary reason that it's a good thing for us to know the ways of God? It's because we might know him. Mm. Moses says, teach me your ways that I might know you. And we all have our ways. Like if I was chatting with your husband, I could say, give me some of Carmen's ways. Mm. You know, if you were chatting with my wife, she'll give me some of Dave's ways. Well, you know, they might say practical things like, well, He tends to be more of an early morning guy. He tends to um, make relationships pretty much more important than anything than the Lord. Um, You might find him in the fall watching a Minnesota Vikings game. That's just kind of his way, what he does. You know, when you're familiar with somebody, you know their ways, but ultimately those ways point to their character, who they are. And um, so when we think of God's ways, it's getting to know more of who he is. So the more we know his ways, the more we know him. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So um, some of Carmen's ways, she's definitely a morning person, no question about it. Um, Quick-witted, and then I would also say um, sometimes quick-tempered, be negative, uh, negative Mm -hmm. way of Carmen. Mm -hmm. Demanding of self and very high expectations of others as well, which sometimes, mm-hmm. right, causes friction mm-hmm. in relationships. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, so number number one reality of why we want to know God's ways is so that we can know God. Like, right, it right. is, you know, God is 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 a real person um, yeah. that we get to know in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we want to know him in all of those ways. And mm-hmm. so um, we're going to get to know God by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the study of uh, of God's word and God's revelation to us. Hey, Dave, let's um let's continue unpacking um, the the reality of the ways of God here in just a moment. We're talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share, and we're talking about walking in the ways of God. So we're starting with you know like why would we even want to do that? What would the motivation be? And then we're going to talk about what impact that has, um, you know, in reality in my life. Like like why why walk in the ways of God instead of, well, you know, frankly, just walk in my own way? Like, aren't I just supposed to make my own way in the world? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find LionShare on Facebook at LionShare Disciple Makers or online at LionShare.org. We're talking this morning about walking in the ways of God, which if you're a person who knows Dave and knows the ways of Dave, this is, um, uh, this is his stomping ground. Yeah, he stomps around <laughs> a lot. <laughs> This is, I mean, like if you're if you're with Dave Buring for you know like I don't know ten or fifteen seconds, you know because he's going to ask you, hey, you know, how are you walking in the ways of God, or what's God showing you in your life, or you know, what are you finding along along life's way, and you know, it's just, it's just, those are going to be the questions. So, um, so let's continue to unpack this a little bit, Dave. When we talk about the ways of God um, mm-hmm. and understanding the ways of God, and then walking in the ways of God, like I, I guess I'm looking for a so what, like. Like yeah. what? I mean, other than knowing God, which obviously I think is yeah. super important, but for a person who doesn't think that's very important, why does it matter? Yeah, well, I, I think, again, when we go back to that Exodus scripture that we took a look at before the break, along with that we might know him, it talks about having favor with God, that one of the things I think when we walk in his ways, you can count on God's favor being upon your life in that area. In other words, you can trust him. Okay, I'm, I, for example... One of the ways of God is I'm going to trust you with my finances. Like our Mm -hmm. finances are not ours. They're there for us to steward. They've been provided for us through God providing us the job that would let us work hard or God providing through the benefits of, you know, maybe a property you own or something. And, you know, when you when you operate and you function in God's ways related to finances, like, okay, there's the the giving of the 10% that God asks us to do, and then they're stewarding wisely the resources we have, not only to meet our needs and to have fun with our family and all that, but also to meet needs of others and to just surprise and bless people. I mean, there's the scriptures are loaded with that kind of thing. Um, and when we function that way, we find his favor. That portion also talks about how God's presence will go with us. And how, you know, that's a good thing to walk in life knowing his hand on our shoulder. And then it also says he will give us rest. Like I, I find, Carmen, one of the strivings of people, you know, in life is is they want peace. But one of the ways that you get that is when you walk in God's ways because you're tr- actually trusting him and who he is based on when you walk in his ways, you can have peace. You have rest of spirit. And he says when we walk in his ways... God says, I will give you rest. Those are some good things to get us rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, you know, the, the gift of God's presence is huge. The, um, obviously the gift of the knowledge of God. I mean, that's what I want to be growing in every single day. Mm-hmm. And you're right about, um, I don't find any rest in my spirit until it finds a rest in, in you. Like, I'm not the first person yeah. who said that. And um, or yeah. recognize that. So talk with us about how this affects everything. You've touched a little bit there on, yeah. you know, like how it affects my um, my financial life and my stewardship. But it literally affects everything. And now this is very counter, 
cultural because I, I'll say I'll say this in you no know, tongue firmly in cheek. Dave, I thought this was my life to live. I thought I was supposed to find my way in life. I thought, as the old song goes, I'm supposed to do it my way. You're yeah. you're saying something very contrary to that. Yeah, I thought you were going to bust out in Frank Sinatra there, Carmen. For a no, minute. everyone knows. See, the ways of Carmen are not <laughs> singing in public. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and you know, and that's where rubber meets the road, right? Because it's it's. Um, how is it different? And again, I think that's why that Isaiah scripture speaks so loudly where he says, you know, I can't, I don't see God just shouting this at us, but he's saying to us, look, as a father in heaven, my ways are not yours and yours aren't mine. And I want to teach you my ways. I want you to walk in my ways. David cried out, God, teach me your ways. So we have precedence of how to cry out to God for this. So like, let me pick a category of relationships. So because God is an awesome relator, his followers are to be the best relators on the planet. In other words, it's like because God is that way, we should be on this planet. There should be nobody that relates better to people than followers of Jesus. And yet, often it's a mess, and we don't know what to do even amongst ourselves, lest even talking about people that don't know the Lord. And it's an it's an important thing. Like we've you and I've talked about this before that the way the world will know that God has sent his son is the way we love or relate to one another. That's how the world will go. Oh, this is real is the way they see us relating to each other. So it it fleshes itself out. Um, when I think of like as a husband, it says I'm to lay my life down for my wife as Christ did for the church. And so, again, there's the Jesus already did it. He walked in those ways. And now he's, you know, Paul is kind of making the connect and said, well, we need to walk in the ways of God husbands by laying down our lives for our wives. And so when you just start looking at this and you start asking the question, no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's a challenge at home or at work, a vocation, what's going on in the world, I, I've learned to ask this question, okay, what are the ways of God on this? And that helps me have a plumb line of how to walk. I love the connection there you make um, to my witness to the world. Like, right, if I'm walking in the ways of God, if I am being discipled in the ways of God, um, then my life becomes a living demonstration of the ways of God to the world. And, mm-hmm. and that's going to look different. Um, mm-hmm. And people are going to begin to to notice, positively or negatively, they're going to notice. Um, and so I think that, you know, if I understand that that in turn ref- um, affects all of my relationships, it affects how I work, it affects, um, you know, what I do in my in my quote unquote free time. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I'm no longer like living a life that's like self-referential. I am living a life that always and in all ways is lived in reference to God. Talk about that in terms of walking in the ways of God. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big one. And, you know, you open the show today with talking about humility. That's that's an expression of the ways of God. That's a very important one. And it's it's recognizing that, you know, when I'm operating in pride, which the ultimate expression of pride is dependence on self, reliance on self versus God, that's a place where I need to respond to God in humility and acknowledge, God, I'm not aligning to your ways. The Bible teaches us, humble yourself before the Lord. 
And so are we humbling ourselves? It teaches us to humble ourselves before other people. And humility is, is that being honest with what's going on inside of you. And so, you know, that's an expression, you know, humility of, of what that looks like. Um, I, I think making decisions, Carmen, in life, do you just kind of do the math with your mind or do you also wait on the Lord? Like, like for Cheryl and I, if there's a decision that has to be made of some level of substance or is going to impact other people's lives, we will pray about it. And we will literally just get quiet, kind of quiet our hearts and just say, okay, Lord, is there anything you want to say to us about this? Because we want to reference what we know in scripture of God's ways. But you know, the scriptures will say, love your neighbor. But sometimes in prayer, the Lord will give you the insight on how that loving your neighbor needs to look. And so I think those are those are ways that we can walk. And just to um, extend that one step further, um, there's then this question when you say humble yourself before the Lord and that prayerful discerning and waiting. And there's also then the humbling yourself before another or a group of others Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and asking whether or not wait in community. Let me weigh this decision in community. Mm -hmm. Um, I think most of us are not there yet. We might be we might be at the, you know, ask God, but we're not at the let me get together with a group of mature Christians and weigh these decisions that I'm making in my life. Most of us um, are still not there on the path of discipleship. Yeah, it's true. And, and I think, you know, the covid dynamic in our country and all the different things that we are dealing with with that, you know, exposed a lot of things in people's hearts in the body of Christ. Like I, I found myself in churches where there was literally a divide between mask and no max, vax and no, and you get into all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, time out. What is going on here? And, and like, I wonder how many people actually stopped and said, okay, those are all practical things that we need to talk about and work through. However, did we pause and kind of go, okay, what's the ways of God on this? Is it not to love each other well, know that each other's prayed about what they're supposed to do, and we stand with each other? And did any of us recognize, wow, the enemy of our soul, the devil's really using this to spin us up here? And mm-hmm. but, if we, but if we don't step back and ask these questions, we just don't see them. Yeah, the spirit of division thing, you and I could go on and on and on about yes. I. I uh, I laughingly said to a person who was like allowing herself to be divided from someone else in the body of Christ over the over the vax or no vax thing. And I'm like, look, I'm just so thankful we're not living in the generation of circumcision or no circumcision. Like if if scripture tells us that there's going to be circumcised and uncircumcised in the body of Christ, then mask or no mask, vax or no vax. Like I'm 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 good with this test. Like I. That's not hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, the enemy wants to sow a spirit of division um, because he wants to, you know, damage the body of Christ and our witness in the world. Dave, as always, thank you so much. What a rich conversation. Walking in the ways of God in all areas of our lives. You need a little help with that? Um, Lionshare would love to come alongside you in your journey of discipleship. You can join them at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to now hear from Max Lucado and Upward. He's got the whole world in his hands and in his heart. God wants them all. So what in the world is going on in the world? Um, Well, here's a, a few things from around the globe this morning. If you were to read the international headlines, 
The United States and South Korea began their biggest combined military training in years on Monday, um, or that's going to happen today, um, heightening what's called the defense posture against the uh, growing North Korean nuclear threat. So these drills could certainly draw an ang- angry response um, from from North Korea. So we're going to keep our eyes on that. China, so many things that we could talk about in relationship to China. Um, I, I talked on Friday um, about the fact that the Yangtze, in, in addition to many other rivers uh, around the world, including here in the United States, the Colorado and the Rio Grande, um, but also uh, rivers in in Europe and um, and across Asia and the Jordan and Israel. We're talking about rivers drying up around the world, which for those of you who've read the book of Revelation, uh, you know, the connection there should, you know, I don't know, maybe should be made. Um, but now brush fires have broken out in China that they're having a hard time putting out, as you might imagine, because um, they have this record heat and drought um, across a region of the country. And they're closing things like shopping malls, you know, to reduce their uh, electricity use. But that's also limiting the places where people could go where there might have been air conditioning. So, you know, on and on and on, um, the, the troubles um, multiply. Uh, China is now shooting chemicals into the clouds to try to um, stimulate and generate rain. I don't know. That doesn't seem necessarily like the greatest of ecological ideas. But there you go. Um, in Ukraine, we are uh, fast approaching the sixth month mark of Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, and the uh, the humanitarian crisis is growing there um, among churches. Um, there have been 400 Ukrainian Baptist congregations lost already in Russia's war in Ukraine in just these uh, first six months of the war. And nearly seven million Ukrainians have uh, have fled the country into Europe. Another hundred thousand have entered the United States through the Uniting for Ukraine program. I'm just going to ask you to start praying um, because there are lots of people that want to leave Ukraine now. Um, and so where would they go and and would we take them? It starts snowing in Ukraine in October. So winter is fast approaching there. Um, so I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to pray with me. Um, I'm inviting you to pray how God might be calling us to respond. Is there room in our homes? Is there room in our hearts for a mom and her kids? That's the question that's going to be compelling uh, before us. Adam Carrington joins us next from Hillsdale College. We're going to talk about um, uh, about the status of students returning to college. Let me ask you this. You know, dorm rooms are pretty small. You live in very close community with a person you don't really know. Would you agree to share a dorm room with a person from across the aisle, whatever that aisle might be? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, we're going back to school with our friend, Adam Carrington. He's a professor at Hillsdale College. Welcome back, sir. Glad to be back and wishing everyone else who's going back to school a a happy start. All right. And so before we get into a conversation about who I don't want to room with when I go to college, um, would you talk with us about um, what Augustine had to say uh, and like on the not on the topic of who we live with in dorms, but on the Christian view of education. 
Right. I think this might be a good starter for many students or those sending their kids to school. Um, he actually connected all of education back to the, the, the summary of the law that Jesus gave in Matthew 22, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all philosophy is here. And by that, he meant everything you might study in education is encapsulated in just that statement. Um, and, and you can think of it that way, that the natural sciences are the study of what God made, but that's part of loving God and knowing who God is, is to look at his creation. Uh, you can think of the humanities, uh, including uh, ethics and politics and social sciences, uh, studying the loving of your neighbor as one ought. Everything that one might look at in those categories really comes down to, are you, lo- are you loving your neighbor the way God says you should and, and the way the law summarizes that you should? And even, he says, logic or philosophy uh, more broadly. Uh, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then studying the truth is, is again, the study of God. And I think as, as Christians, it's really fascinating. Sometimes we can look at education as a way to get a job or even as a way to be a good citizen of the country and, and a number of other things. And I think those are all good and right in and of themselves, but incomplete. And I think Augustine's viewpoint really says we are fulfilling our role as citizens of heaven. We are fulfilling our role as those who love God and love others if we uh, attend to education properly and see education as a way of following uh, uh, really the summary of the law, as Jesus put it well. And that, that, I think, really actually invigorates me as far as a teacher, as far as how I'm approaching my own vocation in, in teaching, and, and, and something that I think really can inspire students as well. I think that when we, um, we consider what Augustine has said, um, and if you guys are looking for it, it's Letter 137. It was written by Augustine in 412. <laughs> Like, that's a long time ago, right? Um, and when we're thinking about this, Adam, it matters who is teaching, because the only way that all philosophy is here in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, is if the person who is teaching the physics, the ethics, the logic, uh, the grammar, I mean, all of that is a person who is looking at the world through that lens, I mean, everyone is teaching philosophy. If if all philosophy is here, then everyone who's teaching is ultimately teaching philosophy. And so it matters who's teaching, which I think gets to a conversation about it matters what's happening in departments of education at colleges and universities across the country. It matters what the criteria for teaching is in our own communities. It matters who's teaching. Like, that matters. Yeah, and it's therefore good to ask, what's the mission of the school that a child is going to, or a young adult is going to, what is their perspective on what it means to learn and who it is ultimately that we're learning about? And is it compatible with what the Bible says? Is it compatible with the view that sees all of history as God's history, all of science as God's science, all of philosophy as God's philosophy? And something that just can't be taken, obviously, for granted, as you said now, and something that has to be contended for and planned for, I think, in, in, in the way that our children are educated. So, yes, it, it does matter who's teaching, and it is a big responsibility that I think parents and teachers that hold this uh, can hold to, and I think even students who don't 
see themselves getting it need to strive for. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's um let's jump to a conversation about this uh, this piece in Axios, which uh, it, you know they surveyed rising sophomores, um, and they mostly definitely or probably would not want to room with someone who voted for the opposing candidate in 2020. They don't want to room with somebody that didn't vote for the person they thought should be president of the United States. I wonder how different they are from um, from adults. My, my guess is my guess is 50 percent of us would say the same thing. Right. And there was actually a pretty large gap between Democrats, self-identified Democrats and Republicans on this. It was about half total, but a very but, a, but a, there was on, uh, over a 30 point difference, 30 uh, percent fewer Democrats, only 38 percent said they would do so. Actually, 71 percent of self-identified Republicans said they'd be OK rooming with someone of a different viewpoint. That's, I think, interesting. But if you take it overall, it isn't, isn't, I think ultimately isn't a good thing, especially in the college atmosphere. It's not necessarily, you could ask some questions about marriage or other things that that might be uh, something more fundamental. But um, if if we really are trying to create a a community, e pluribus unum, you know, out of many one, um, as as our, uh, our money and other things say, then living together is one way to build a kind of common understanding and to just recognize others as fellow human beings and citizens, not just see them through the prism of a Twitter posts about other people you don't agree with or don't like. And um, dorms aren't a bad way of trying to build that common understanding and trying to see that common humanity and maybe therefore building something like a common citizenship, even where you don't agree on everything. But if you're refusing to even live with each other, then you are much more likely to uh, 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 basically uh, create a cartoonish version of of the other side. And I think that that just perpetuates some of the problems we have. Um, And and so I think that that is it it is a problem that that people are seeing that way. And it shows, especially in the educational atmosphere, a certain lack of openness to learning, because that would be a context in which one could learn both in and out of the classroom. And I think uh, that that it just shows, uh, again, how partisanship isn't necessarily aligned with a good education or perfect citizenship either. So it's interesting that, you know, as you note, 71 percent of Republican students who were surveyed said, you know what, I'd be willing to room with somebody who who didn't vote for my guy um, in 2020. But only 38 percent of students who identify as Democrat um, would be willing to room with a person who voted for um, the the opposing candidate in 2020. Um, that's a that's a significant and stark difference in terms of a willingness to um, be to live in community with one another. Um, and so I, I do think that's informative, and I think those kinds of things are helpful for us to talk about. Um, let's uh, let's pause for just a moment here, and then um, I'm going to ask you this: Is the Constitution? too conservative? I mean, is it, Adam Carrington, is it time for us to get rid of it? Hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? 
Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. I want to wake up. I want to restart. Put the drum beat back in my heart. I need to be revived. Bring me back to life. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. All right, Adam, there is a an opinion piece in the New York Times arguing that the Constitution is too conservative and we need to get rid of it. What say ye? Actually, I would say the uh, critique, and it's from two law professors, one from Harvard and one from Yale, goes even further than that. They say not only is our Constitution too conservative and broken and needs to be discarded, constitutionalism, the whole idea of having (laughs) constitutions at all, is too conservative and needs to be thrown out. And I I guess before I say why I, I do think it's wrong and mistaken, um, I'll, I'll say what a little bit of why, why they say that. Their, their argument is it <clears throat> constitutions keep current majorities from doing everything they want all the time, and that that thwarts and is anti-democratic, and that it is conservative because it enshrines perspectives, principles, and values in the past and keeps them from being easily changed by the present, and therefore is conservative in that way. And I I think that you could admit all of those things and still say that constitutions and our constitution does really good things. And that those really good things are, uh, it's not that the people don't rule even today. They can still do all sorts of things that they want. It's that constitutions and our constitution um, creates a certain um, guardrails and certain procedures to make us the best self-governing versions of ourselves that we can be. And so we have a a deliberative process in Congress that forces us to deliberate better. We have a Bill of Rights that says, you know, there are certain things that if we all get worked up and angry or frustrated or scared, that we probably shouldn't put ourselves in a position to undo uh, in those situations. So let's create rights that are beyond the normal majorities. And I think that what it does is, you know, this piece shows way too much confidence in human nature, way too much confidence in um, what human beings are capable of of doing for good but not ill, and really shows a disrespect for our connection to the past and our connection to our our original principles, uh, and and therefore, I I think, misunderstands the good that constitutionalism does. Constitutions really do help us be a better version of ourselves. They don't deny our ability to self-govern. This paragraph, um, well, or parts of this paragraph stand out to me. The idea of constitutionalism is that there needs to be some higher law that is more difficult to change than the rest of the legal order. Having a constitution is about setting more sacrosanct rules than the ones uh, the legislature can pass day by day. Um, Okay, so I I actually believe in a higher law. I actually believe um, there are 
some rules that are sacrosanct that we actually don't have any right at all to um, uh, to transgress, even if a majority of us say we don't like those rules. Mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm, of course, you know, coming at this from a biblical or gospel worldview that acknowledges the reality of God. Is part of this just just a, a, a the challenge, the worldview challenge between those who believe in God and those who regard him not? I think that's, yeah, I think that's a perceptive way to put it, because what constitutions really are, are uh, sort of a middle ground between just what a majority wants and what you would call God's law, uh, the, the law of nature or the law that he, he, he implants in our hearts or the law is revealed in the Bible. And, you know, the Constitution is law that's harder to change. Uh, the law you're talking about is impossible to change because it's the groundwork for which we know who we are. It's the groundwork for which we know what justice is. And those things are immutable. They, they may change, their, their application may have to be adjusted in time and place, but they don't change fundamentally. And we did used to understand that. We did have the concept in the Declaration of Independence of the laws of nature and nature's God that say certain rights, for example, are inalienable, can't be alienated, can't be changed. Uh, we, we had others that articulated the, the laws of God as being part of how we understand what justice and the good is. So, yeah, I think this is a reduction of the idea down to who's the ultimate sovereign uh, over everything. It's, it's us, we the people in the present, whereas I think historically the idea was we the people are sovereign as, as humans subject to the ultimate sovereignty of God. And that was both uh, a, a, a powerful creator of dignity, equality, and justice for us, but also a limit on our own power as far as what we can act on and how we can act. It was really actually a, a beautiful middle ground to try to say that we do govern ourselves, but under the laws and rules of God. And, and this article, you know, in, in, in the way it goes after the Constitution, I think is losing sight of that and doesn't have that view in mind. Will you um, maybe write that up and, um, you know, answer this op-ed in the New York Times with that? Because that's really that's really quite beautiful and helpful. Um, There was a piece in The Wall Street Journal recently on how the sexual revolution has hurt women. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but I'd like for you to um, to lift it up because uh, there has been a very negative effect on women. and I, and I think it's important to, you know, to lift up the, the very real um, importance of women, you know, placed on, placed on us in Scripture. Yeah, and I, 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 had, I know I, I had passed this article along, and I, I don't know if you'd seen it before I passed it along, but it was with the fact that a lot of what we've been talking about is education. And we were talking about dorm rooms and that, that there's a culture, especially on camp, college campuses, but in the larger world where the idea is that we now have a broad sexual freedom uh, that we have gotten rid of sort of the prudish old ideas that were uh, uh, patronizing and, and undermining uh, men's freedom, but especially women's freedom and, and dictating to them societal roles that were supposed to be uh, oppressive. And what some of the research we're seeing coming out and other studies coming out is saying is that, you know, while the past wasn't perfect and we don't want to go back to some of it, uh, the current system really pays off for people who are living a very unbiblical 
world and who are using their strength or power or position to impose themselves and force other people into relationships and into situations of intimacy that are not biblical, that's not the view of marriage, they're not the view of how that all is supposed to work, and that that's especially been damaging to women. And that there is something to a biblical view of how the sexes are to interact and how the responsibility that men and women have, but especially men because of the way that they they operate uh, and their position in society, that um, we really would need to recapture. Otherwise, we're we're doing a disservice to the very people, women, that we claimed we were trying to free. And that that shows just, again, what we were saying before, the transcendent truths of, of biblical uh, uh, morality that are not just meant to tell people to not do things they don't want to do. It's really meant to guide and protect them uh, for the, the good of themselves and the glory of God. And that we're seeing even secular sources not recognizing the, the ultimate purpose in God, but recognizing the need to protect people with something like biblical morality. Yeah, this is one of those super complex conversations that totally makes sense when you pause to think about it very long at all. Um, the subhead of this um, Saturday essay in the Wall Street Journal, so the head, how the sexual revolution has hurt women, the subhead, in today's hookup culture, the sexual playing field is not even. It suits men's interest to pretend that it is. Um, Adam, thank you for alerting me to this article. I think there's probably more hill here to till in the future. If you guys want access um, or links to these uh, articles that we discussed today, they're going to be in the show notes, which you can always find at MyFaithRadio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Throw me like a stone in the water. Watch the mud rise up. Okay, it's possible you don't hardly pay attention to anything I say. I get that. Maybe I'm just like along for the ride and I'm sort of background noise. Well, this is like a big flashy warning light, so pay attention to this part. So you may have gotten an alert on your phone. Um, If you have an iPhone or if you have another Apple-related device, actually what industry security experts are saying, anything Steve Jobs made. So any Steve Jobs-related electronic device probably when you look at it first thing today, is going to um, say you have a critical update. Okay, that's actually really true. Um, Industry experts are saying do not hit ignore um, when your Apple software asks you to update it. Update it immediately. I don't actually know what's going on, but there's some hijack of Apple devices that's uh, systemic. And so there you go. My warning light today, since I'm an Android person, um, uh, was actually on my computer screen, which says that um, Windows is going to be deactivated on my device if I don't change my product key. I don't have any idea what any of that means, but I have sent an email to the service desk. So wake up, guys. Service desk. Um, Carmen out here needs some help. All right. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.